Greetings, health tech enthusiasts. I am Arvin, the CEO and chairman of Copper Digital, and I am thrilled to welcome you to another exciting episode of Health Tech Trends 2024-25. Today, we have a remarkable guest with us, a seasoned leader who has left an indelible mark on the intersection of supply chain, robotics, and healthcare. With 17 years of experience shaping go-to-market strategies, leading commercial teams, and driving transformative changes in supply chain dynamics for both small startups as well as Fortune 500 companies, our guest is a true visionary. Currently heading healthcare alliances at Texas, he's actively contributing to the evolution of technology in healthcare sector. But that's not all. He's also the co-founder of Blissful Lifestyle Medicine, a cash-based medical practice on a mission to improve health and quality of life through a holistic, whole-person approach. So, get ready to be inspired as we explore the innovative strides made by our distinguished guest in the dynamic landscape of health tech. Without further ado, let's dive into this insightful conversation with our guest, Jet Chittanar. Welcome, Jet. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Arvind. Uh, appreciate this opportunity and, you know, very excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Me too. Me too. Yeah, this is so exciting. Just learning from a lot of your experiences and um, very diverse as well. So let's begin with that, I guess. Um, in your 17-year journey, um, you know, this spans diverse areas like supply chain, warehouse automation, and AI. Can you share some pivotal moments or experiences that shaped your career and brought you to the forefront of innovation in these industries? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as a software engineer and, you know, one of my mentors really noticed that I had the knack for simplifying concept, uh, complex concepts to customers and prospects. So I was, so that's when he pushed me to sort of get more on the business side of things, which I started to enjoy. Eventually got my master's in supply chain and in, in marketing. And, uh, you know, from there, I was introduced to the lovely world of intro logistics and warehouse automation. And I just thought, I just looked at the technology and I was like, this is all of this, this machinery and all of this exciting new technology inside the four walls of distribution centers is, is helping customers and it's helping people to uh, improve their operational efficiency. And, and that was just exciting, uh, exciting for me. You know, the, the person who was, you call it the geek or, or the person that was a techie of, of sorts coming from a software engineering background, uh, I fell in love. And then from there, you know, life rarely goes the way that you actually plan it to go. You always have left and right turns. And uh, and along the way, I was able to not only work at a number of uh, startups and, you know, help grow revenue for them, help lead commercial teams, uh, but then also, you know, uh, ultimately now, you know, uh, I work at a company called Texas, and I and I run healthcare alliances. But then I've also started, yeah, you know, uh, a, a cash-based medical practice uh, along with my wife, uh, who is a physician. And you know, we can certainly talk a little bit more about that. But though these are the four, three or four points where I think, uh, you know, uh, I had a sense of direction and a vision, but but it, it's never a straight line, and it's that's the beauty of it. Got it. Wow, that's awesome. And um, I've seen that a lot of the technology people have much better success rates when they transition into a role, you know, like growth or strategy or sales. And I, I feel like me, myself, um, you know, 
going to school for electrical engineering and then, you know, getting my master's in that. Um, I think that was a great experience and opened up a lot of different, um, you know, avenues for me to grow. So um, what does Texas do? Yeah, so Texas is a supply chain platform, and you know we call it an, an end-to-end supply chain platform. Basically, we uh, provide something called as a warehouse management system that improves efficiency of your operations and helps you in reducing errors and, and, and reducing costs overall in the four walls of a warehouse or distribution center. But what Texas does is is also takes that and has inventory management systems in, in hospitals and in uh, you know locations or cat labs, IR, OR. So well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to reduce the spend uh, and, and actually reduce the costs associated with uh, with supplies, uh, not only from a, a distribution standpoint, but also from in-hospital standpoint as well, which is which has tremendously saved several organizations of, you know, of a lot of money and which they are then able to put forward to, to actually driving the mission or the health systems, which is focusing on patient care. Yeah, that's lovely. And of course, um, you know, cost is an important factor, you know, finding those efficiencies, but also specifically in healthcare, logistics plays such an important role because of uh, requiring that urgent delivery of key medicine and then, you know, being able to store it properly with expirations. I think it, it takes it to another level, the entire logistics experience. So I feel like uh, this is really unique, your background in logistics and that too, especially catering to the healthcare uh, industry and those clients. I think it's uh, it's really important. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now, beyond your corporate endeavors, you co-founded Blissful Lifestyle Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to learn more about that and what's the mission and uh, um, you know, whatever other information you'd like to share about this medical practice. Absolutely. So my wife is a uh, is a physician and she worked for the Duke uh, Health University system for a number of years. And really one of the things that was uh, that, that I also got to learn intimately in terms of, you know, what is sort of the missing thing from a primary care perspective for, for healthcare, you know, so primary care physicians are, are amazing. And, you know, they are, they, they certainly you know, help patients, but they are oftentimes burdened with a lot of work and they have to see a lot of patients. So what happens is that they're not, they're unable to spend time, more time with patients regularly to, to really help them, you know, uh, in, in improving their health. And that's the gap that we, we identified that as a gap. And that's, uh, that's something that we're looking to, to fill in terms of, you know, working with those primary physicians, uh, but, but from a, from an outside, outsider, almost like an insider outsider perspective uh, what i mean by that is you know my wife having that background we uh, understood and we uh, identified really that that gap so built a medical practice it's a cash cash based medical practice that focuses on improving the use utilizing the six pillars of lifestyle medicine which are nutrition physical activity stress management avoidance of risky substances uh, restorative sleep and for social connections. So the idea was to work with patients and uh, and to help them, you know, improve their life. And and you know, my wife being uh, qualified and, and able to provide that care, 
I took on the responsibilities of okay, well, how do we, you know, how do we market this? How do we, how do we make it accessible to people? How do we, you know, what pricing should we use? So getting into a little more of the strategy and the operation side, and and it's fascinating. And, and now we have, uh, you know, a, a good number of of, of patients as well, and and you know, we're we're also branching out into into other facets of uh, of medicine. So I think it's it's certainly an exciting journey that I've sort of been a part of. And, you know, there's a lot that I've learned from, from, you know, being uh, involved so intimately in, in a business. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, this is super unique. And, and I think um, being an entrepreneur and, you know, getting started is often what skills you have and how can you help others with that skill. So it makes total sense. So is she doing this full time? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. That's that's fantastic. So you guys have this clinic in um, Riley and that's where you're serving customers in the community. Are Is this targeted towards um, underserved population, perhaps with, with no medical insurance, or this is something that acts as a supplement, like you go have your PCP as well, but then if you need more care or you need more specialized care right. for your overall well-being, then you have this as an additional almost like you would have maybe therapy as an addition to your PCP. Which one does does this, uh, you know, go for? So it's it's the latter one, right? Okay. And and which is basically, you know, we're not trying to replace uh, PCPs. PCPs are great, you know, you need you need a PCP. But so coming in with a background of that uh, of of medicine in general, and you know, understanding how the human body works, and what are some of the things that we need to do to be able to manage those conditions, is what my my wife focuses on. But yes, you need your PCP to to have to prescribe you whatever medicine you require. However, at the same time, uh, we bring a unique lens in terms of not just health and wellness, but then we also have the expertise that, uh, you know, uh, my wife, Alicia, provides. Got it. Fantastic. Um, now, you have prior experience with startups. I mean, you have experience advising startups and helping them in growth as well. So what challenges do you often see um, tech companies face and how can they effectively navigate these hurdles to bring their innovations to market? Right. So it was an interesting time, you know, during COVID with every like early 2020, uh, we, we saw a lot of investment in logistics and, and supply chain technology companies because people realized, wow, if things are not working, if supply chain is is broken, then you know we're not going to be able to get whatever we need and we're not going to be able to grow and we're not going to be sustained. So um, some of the things in terms of what I would like some of the challenges that startups face is, you know, they is is establishing. Obviously, you know, it starts with a product or a service. What are they providing? More often than not, you see product uh, that is that could be a minimum viable product, the MVP. And uh, when you start with that, you you're going to have some early adopters. You know, some of the founders are are able to you know bring in some early customers and, and develop those use cases. It goes back to what are you trying to do? Are you trying trying to solve a problem that's number one and are you is that is a problem that you are solving is that faced how, how many people face that problem how many organizations face that problem that's going to determine the scalability of your product that's going to determine the total addressable market the serviceable addressable market or whatever you're looking to sell or bring to the market and it's also in, in a sense going to 
help uh, you know determine how successful you are going to be. Some of the things that I've seen at successful startups do uh, is to really focus on one or two things they do really well and and you know double down on that. It, it's really easy to get distracted in putting fire, putting out fires, and and you know getting uh, sucked into your day to day and 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 you know looking at four or five different things. Once you have the vision and the direction for the, for the organization, once you have the, the MVP building on that, and, and then obviously from the startup perspective, you need to, you need to be able to show social proof that it works. And then you get into go in and, and, you know, once you have those established customers, then you go in for a, you know, series A, series B, so on and so forth. But, but it all starts with again, what problem are you looking to solve? And, and is that a problem that's worth solving? Got it. Got it. No, that's a, a great advice, I think. So essentially, don't don't get lost in day-to-day and don't be um, working on five different items, but just focus on the key areas and then always keep going back to what problem you're solving. I think, um, you know, that's, that's, that's great advice. And I would agree. I think, um, you know, also I would agree with how you mentioned whether it's a product or a service. Is there, you know, different strategy for product versus service or your opinion on if somebody is on the fence and trying to, you know, take that leap forward, then would you recommend bringing a product or, you know, maybe a services-based business? So that, so that really depends, uh, right? I mean, you know, if you have typically, we've seen that product-based startups uh, tend to do, there, there are more product-based startups in the tech world and there are services and, and and the reason for that is again they're trying to solve a solve a problem using something that wasn't there before or they're improving an existing process which is broken right and so you're bringing these uh, into market there are it's it's a completely different lens that you view problems through from a product perspective it is harder to develop a product to make sure that it works, but the scalability of that product, once you have that, you and it's you know you're able to solve that problem, then it at least not only in theory, but I've seen instances where it gets easier in terms of multiplying that success. But from a services perspective, it depends on what service you offer. But it's it just you are like your skill set is what you are basically, and and that is uh, whether that is a consulting, advisory, or or anything else like that, it's it's sort of harder to, in some some ways, the capital required to break in into services based industry is may not be uh, as much. But to develop a product, it's a, a more extensive uh, cycle. You can look at healthcare. You know, you have to go through and see what regulations are in place. What are some of the things do, that businesses need to ensure to be able to actually commercialize their products? So, so there are different facets, and it's just different lens. I can't necessarily say one is better than the other. Again, goes back to what your strengths are and uh, what is your vision and and how you think of problem solving. Yeah. No, I would agree because while there are so many similarities between uh, a services company and a product company, I also feel like they are totally different as well. So I think there is definitely different approaches, but you're right. There's no easy answer. And I agree with you, like services can be a lot more stable where you could slowly grow the organization and the chances of success are much higher. Uh, But then in a product, it could just be uh, all or nothing. Uh, But then that's 
the actual entrepreneurship and you know creating that that exorbitant amount of uh, value and and hence wealth as well. Um, Absolutely. Great. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So um, now in your journey, you've have you come across any unexpected or unconventional uses of technology in healthcare that truly surprised you? Or can you share a few notable examples? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many fascinating organizations out there. You know, you there's a buzz about AI, generative AI, large language models, chat GPT. And it's all, uh, so so you can look at it from a lens, a lens of, you know, uh, optimism and say, these are all the things that are going to help humanity. And obviously there are downsides to it as well. Uh, just like, you know, with every, every coin has two sides, right? The things that I've seen that were so fascinating, I could give you some, uh, some examples. So, um, basically company called as AI doc, right? So AI doc is something that is used for, uh, clinical decision support. What these folks did was they were able to get CT scans and help radiologists. Basically, they were able to identify patterns in CT scans and they were able to uh, say which patients need urgent, like emergent care and which patients, you know, they, they see that in, in, in those scans that, you know, you can basically, it's not the problems that they have or if at all are, are not so severe. So the physicians in this in this country are, are overburdened uh, a lot of times, and we've noticed this. And uh, that uh, you know, this type of a technology really enhances the ability of a radiologist to, to come in and, and to uh, identify patterns which even humans may not be able to identify before they even happen. So having those markers and and using something like that uh, that can really help in potentially saving somebody's life, right? Because ultimately that's the goal for any healthcare organization, and that's that's what we're all striving for is to uh, help sort of humanity, uh, you know, uh, get better and, and help them get, you know, uh, get healthier and, 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 you know, make sure that people get the care they need. So that is a, you know, a technology that I've, that I've seen from, which is tremendously valuable. Uh, and of course there's some interesting ones too, right? And you, you've got, uh, you, you've got something like a healthy.io. So, so that, that company, you know, it's a leveraging advanced AI imaging technology. So what you do is you, you pretty much, you, you urinate on a, on a stick, you take a picture, and then from the picture, it tells you whether, you know, you have a UTI or whether you have a kidney disease and you need to go and see, see the physician. So that's, there are so many others out there. I, you know, I can keep going on and on, but uh, wow. these are some of the ones that I've seen that are, are really fascinating. Yeah, no, those are both, uh, you know, pretty interesting. Um, of course, radiology, I, I, I knew that that was going to be one of the very first use cases. I mean, not to say that AI is going to take away radiologists' job, but I think there definitely um, AI has benefits to uh, use the the huge computational power that's now available. There's another organization as well, you know, and this is this is also very interesting. You know, it, it's it's more towards solving uh, bigger challenges, right? And, and as we talked about, a company called Path AI, which is it's using it's helping pathologists and clinicians in making more accurate cancer di uh, diagnoses, and you know what this is doing it's it's helping to identify and improve the accuracy speed of the process for identifying diseases in tissue samples and and that that can be 
just you know from the outside looking in you know obviously there's the difference between different stages of cancer can can mean dire right for for different people if people are able to catch it then the treatment can be managed and that people being healthier and something like this is is very critical and, and, and fascinating as well as extremely I would think helpful for a lot of organizations and, and a lot of uh, you know basically a lot of uh, people around the world yeah and um, you know even we've done some work uh, with a dermatologist who uses uh, images of different parts of the body to then you know be able to do the diagnosis and especially it was helpful during the pandemic because of the rise of telehealth and uh, patients becoming more okay with uh, being treated uh, in that fashion and at times even get the benefits um you know, of even the remote health. So um, I guess given the increasing reliance on AI in healthcare, especially in diagnostics and predictive analytics, how can the industry strike a balance between leveraging these technologies for efficiency while ensuring patient privacy and data security? As you know, that's a very, very important topic, not just in healthcare, but overall as well. But healthcare, it just takes another level of priority, uh, you know, for data protection. Yeah, uh um, absolutely. You know, I think, again, there there are things that we really, really need to be cognizant of, right? I mean, you have the sophisticated AI, AI technologies and companies that are being, uh, that are being utilized, but healthcare, health systems are being cautious and rightfully so in the mass adoption. So you're going to see that, you see, you're going to see the adoption of these technologies, but it's going to come at a slower pace than in other industries. Uh, you know, the benefits are tremendous, right? You can, it can likely save uh, health systems. It can, it can save by driving their costs down. It can save lives. But, you know, privacy and security are, are of paramount importance. You know, you have uh, a HIPAA that is paramount and that needs to be managed on both ends. The, uh, the data that is used to train uh, the AI models, those need to be uh, obtained securely. And, and, you know, that organizations have to go through a lot of rigorous activity to be able to to do that, to get the anonymized data, to be able to uh, make sure that you know privacy is uh, laws are are not violated. So from from that perspective, those are the organization that that's what the organization has to do. Uh, the product organization, the one who is actually buying those, you know, they have to make sure that all the systems are in place before they are actually installed. They also want to make sure that you know there is interoperability between systems because these folks are using uh, EMRs um, in 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 their hospital and, and health setting, and then you know you're utilizing this other technology. How are they talking with one another to provide you the best outcome? Data is fantastic unless you are able to, only if you're able to, you know, make sense of it. If, if it lives in a vacuum, then it's meaningless, right? And you can, it's, it's almost like you have these systems, they need to be interacting with one another seamlessly. And if they do, then everything is going to work like an orchestra, theoretically, uh, obviously. But, you know, if, if they don't, then, then you're massively wasting an opportunity to be able to utilize the maximum benefit. So there's, there's certainly a balance, you know, there is certainly 
certainly some checks and balances that organizations need to go through to, before they can they actually adopt it. And we're seeing that actually organizations are being responsible in doing that. But uh, you know that can also, on the flip side, that process can also be accelerated a little bit. So it's it's never going to be at the rate that we expect, but you know slowly but surely it's coming. Got it. So the advice for healthcare leaders to balance all of these new technologies and innovation that's coming um, is uh, to also not forget about the data privacy and the personally identifiable information and, um, you know, privacy and security. So do not ignore those just because you want to drive innovation. So just be aware and educate your teams and also see where you're sourcing the product from and then have all those checks and balances. No, that's a, that's a good perspective. I think that's good advice. So as technology evolves more, the the cost of healthcare innovation can be a barrier, right? I mean, it's um, especially in healthcare, it just is cost exorbitant amount of money to run some of those experiments that you would normally be able to do in any other industry much easier. Now, how do you envision making advanced health tech solutions more accessible and affordable to a wider demography? That's that's a great question. I think some of the things that we can we can look at and, and, and sort of think about is, you know, utilizing something which is going on currently, right? Utilizing telemedicine. And, uh, but then if you're talking about even making that accessible, then we want to make sure that people have, you know, uh, internet access at, at various places throughout the world, right? So it, so it all starts with this bigger picture than what you're looking to solve. And, and ultimately, I think because technologies, you know, AI specifically, the way that it came about and, and, and what it's helping us helping us do is it's making us more efficient at its core. And it's making us efficient uh, so that we are investing in things or theoretically, at least a health system or organizations would invest in things that matter the most, which is patient care. And, you know, from the from the rise of something like telemedicine, we, we see that you know people are able to actually go in and, and you know log into their system and meet with their PCPs and, and doctors and, and get the care that they need and and that that is a certainly a good segue into mass adoption all across the globe. But at the same time, you know we need to understand as uh, overall as as an entity that if we're saving. If we're being more efficient, then whatever we're saving needs to go to to furthering accessibility for healthcare in in various regions. Yeah. So you know, utilizing these technologies is certainly a good good way and a good start. But we have a long way to go in uh, in, in 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 a mission to uh, to be able to you know have this be widespread. Yeah. No. And that that makes sense. And then, you know, with such an important factor that the cost is that, um, you know, there needs to be always that awareness about, you know, the ultimate goal of making healthcare accessible. If the leaders of future also always keep that in mind that, um, you know, how do they make solutions that make healthcare more accessible, then I think, um, you know, we'd we'd build a better society, better community that has uh, fair access to healthcare for everybody. Uh, so, Jet, with rapid evolution of AI and robotics, there are numerous um, cutting-edge technologies that that are making waves. What specific technological advancements or innovation in supply chain and logistics um, are affecting healthcare that maybe you are most excited about? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. 
So from a robotics perspective, you know, you have piece-picking robots. Basically, you have robots that are uh, in warehouses and distribution centers that are, that have a vision system and that, that are able to, once you get a tote and you get those orders, that are able to discern which product to pick. And, and then they're picking that specific product using a gripper and placing it into uh, the order tote. So, so that is helping reduce labor costs significantly inside four walls of a distribution center or a warehouse. You see that, and if you multiply that in terms of, you know, kind of what the volume is for, for any of these distribution centers or warehouses, I think that is a tremendous saving. Companies have, you've seen the emergence of humanoid robots, which is very fascinating, very interesting. Recently, what was the company, company's name, I, think, I believe it's Figure. So they have a humanoid robot and, and obviously Tesla is also coming up with their own version of humanoid robots. But what they're looking at is utilizing those in logistical settings, at least from a figure perspective, right? From what, I, from what I've seen on the internet. And they are making sure that they are solving problems where you know, you're, you're picking up certain goods and you're, you're placing them to make it more safe. So safety is a big thing in terms of, uh, in terms of making sure that folks are, uh, that the job is completed and the people in that facility are safe, right? Now, the challenge is to make sure that that is sort of scalable and, and that has a positive ROI, which is, again, something that they'll need to work on uh, and, and just in general organizations need to work on. The other thing that I've seen, which is quite fascinating from a healthcare and, and robotics perspective is using, uh, again, automating inside the four walls of distribution centers to be able to, uh, you know, pick orders at, at a rate that were not possible before and then pick, pack and ship those that are so, because ultimately, you know, you see all of these orders that are being packed. You know, I can give you a specific example. One of the robotics companies that I work for, we had orders that were picked by operators alongside autonomous mobile robots. The robot would automatically go and stop at a location, a person okay. would come in and pick a medical device. So that medical device was actually being fulfilled. It was going to go to um, a salesperson's I believe it was going to go to a salesperson's house. And then from there, they would bring that device into surgery. So if you are not able to pick that in time, then you're missing, you know, somebody's surgery might be, might be affected. So uh, utilizing technology, again, to make things more efficient, to make things fast, to make things more accurate, uh, especially in a healthcare setting where stakes are high is, is something that is very fascinating and exciting. Yeah, me too. I think this, I can't wait for the day for the humanoid robots to be walking around. And what's the cost? Are you aware? Like ballpark, what's the cost of a humanoid uh, robot? Is it like the salary for one year of a, of a worker? I think, it, um, so that's again, I'm not certain. So I, I'm not, you know, I don't know what the cost might be. And, and that's again, the problem that we want to solve. And, 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 you know, when we're talking about humanoid robots too, right now, they're slower than human beings. Right. Uh, and, and they're not as adept at handling different types of optics. So if if they're put in the right use case, I mean, and you, this should be looked at as someone who is replacing a human. But if they're put in the right setting where it is maybe risky for, for somebody to, to do something, maybe if, if it is a task that requires a lot of strength where uh, an average person may not be able to do it. If you're using utilizing those in, in that setting, then you not only have then the quantitative ROI is one thing, but you have 
have the qualitative ROI as well, which is immeasurable because you're removing humans from potentially dangerous and hazardous situations. So I would certainly want to see these being utilized in, in areas where it's uh, uh, it's improving the safety rather than right. it, it being fast because it's, let's face it, it's, it's not as fast or agile as it well, is. Not yet. At but least it, now. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think what I find fascinating is that, see, humanoid is a way for us to trigger that innovation meaning you create a humanoid give it some basic capabilities and then you let people program it and use it the way they want and then figure out what are some of those use cases where you know it is the best so i understand that there may be so many different areas and use cases but what excites me the most is um you know areas that we don't know yet uh, that would become um you know extremely extremely valuable uh, in the, in the future and of course healthcare is an important field for that um well great um so looking ahead 2024 25 if someone someone in our audience has ideas that they'd like to implement at their organization to, you know, create digital transformation or to bring technology into the process somehow, then what are this? What are some of the considerations, some advice that you would offer to them, having talked to so many of the industry leaders who are who, are, who have a mission uh, to to create digital transformation? That's a great question. I would urge and encourage leaders who are looking to incorporate technology into the day to day, especially in a healthcare setting. To again, go back to what is a problem you're looking to solve, and how is this technology helping you? Once you evaluate that, then you have to also take a step back and, and and see that whether or not the organization that you're going with is following all the regulations uh, and it's making sure that you know uh, everything is, is in place from a compliance perspective because you don't want to be in violation of that and then the other thing is also look at it from a broader broader perspective you know you want to make sure that this thing works as a whole can't operate in a vacuum. You know, you have to make sure that that there is interoperability between the between the systems. That it is, you know, that you are able to utilize whatever it is that you're using to enhance your existing operations, uh, and and that it's also secure. You know, if one mistake. Uh, when it comes to, if it comes to security, could be, uh, you know, dire for a lot of healthcare organizations, let alone, you know, regular organizations. So these are some of the things that I would urge the leaders to uh, to look at and, and consider as they're choosing new technology in terms of, specifically in terms of AI for or in healthcare setting, and um, you know that that way you're minimizing the risk of adoption of these, and then ultimately you're uh, you are being a pioneer in in uh, moving this technology forward. Lovely, lovely. So I, I like how, especially in healthcare, you cannot cut corners and you have to keep some of the fundamentals, the basics there. Interoperability, of course, you know, it looks like uh, that's something that is extremely important, um, you know, based on your experience. And then also privacy and, and you know, uh, ensuring that your content is, is, is safe is also extremely important. Uh, no, this is, uh, this is, fantastic and uh, with that we conclude another thought-provoking episode of health tech innovation 2024-25 featuring jet chetunard a big thank you to jet for unraveling the complexities of health tech and sharing his valuable perspectives to our listeners make sure to hit that subscribe button to stay tuned for more captivating conversations with leaders at the forefront of healthcare and technology thank you everyone thank you jet appreciate you thanks bye-bye bye